Welcome to Creator Talks. This is your host, Christopher Calloway. Writer Matt Groom lives in Australia. Artist Eduardo Ferragato lives in Brazil. What these two creators share in common is their work on Self Made, a sci-fi comic being published through Image on December 5th. This is Matt Groom's first solo comic writing credit and the first comic series writer Kyle Higgins has edited. Kyle was the writer on the New 52 Nightwing series for DC and of his creator-owned series Cal and Hadrian's Wall. And with Self Made being his editorial debut, Kyle guides this world-spanning story of self-discovery. One thing Self Made's creators Matt and Eduardo share in common is a passion for hiking. I discuss with them places they enjoy and recommend. Matt talks about his first writing credit in a Power Rangers comic book and his podcast about the Power Rangers called Ranger Danger. Eduardo reflects on how his comic book art has evolved since The Last Phantom for Dynamite Entertainment in 2011 and working on self-made with colorist Marcelo Costa. And what advice did experienced letterer Troy Pateri provide Matt? And Matt talks about the contributions of logo designer Olivia King and production designer and podcast partner Michael Busuttle. We talk about the special cover for number one that will benefit a charity and the special contest for self-made readers. This interview is sponsored by The Comic Book Shop in Wilmington, Delaware, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. And now onto my conversation with Matt Groom and Eduardo Ferrigato. Here now on Creator Talks. Matt, welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you so much, Christopher. I'm really glad to be here. And Eduardo, welcome to you as well. Thank you, Chris. We're here to talk today about self-made coming out through Image Comics on December 5th. But first, I like to always ask my guests that are outside of the States a little bit about where they're from. Uh, so Matt, let's start with you. You live in Sydney, Australia. What do you love about it? And what places should I visit there or nearby within driving distance if I were to make a trip down under. I love Sydney because it's very geologically varied. Uh, it's a harbour city, so we have a beautiful harbour that is reasonably well known, but you don't have to travel very far to get to the mountains here. If you're coming in as a tourist, it's a great idea to jump on a train and head up to the mountains because you get some of that iconic Australian bush without having to sort of really get out into the wilderness too far. So I recommend that. But obviously, if you just want to keep it tight near the city, jumping on a ferry and heading around the harbour, you can't go wrong. It's absolutely beautiful. Do you do quite a bit of hiking? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love to go hiking. Having it on your doorstep like that, it feels foolish not to take advantage of it. Now, do you have to prep to go hiking? I mean, do you pack a lot of things? I'm not saying an overnight hike, but are there certain things that you need to take with you that I should take with me? Should I go hiking? Uh, not typically outside of water. Obviously, it gets quite hot here in Australia. But if you do your day hike, a bit of water is fine. And the tracks are really well kept here. Uh, the national parks do a great job. So you don't need to worry about bringing much other than yourself, really. Great. I love to go hiking, so that would definitely be something I'd want to do. Is there any special food or beverages while I'm in Sydney that I should try? Something that you might enjoy indulging in yourself? See, now this is one area where, unfortunately, I feel like Australia is a little bit lacking. I don't think there's any food that you're going to find here that you're not going to be able to find anywhere else. Now, of course, there's great restaurants and, and the like, but as far as specific cuisine... Not so much. So uh, yeah, don't come to Australia to expect to have your mind blown in terms of food. You can have some kangaroo if you'd like, 
and kangaroo is fine. Like it's actually a great healthy meat, but it's not something we eat super commonly around here and it's not going to rock your world either, unfortunately. Okay. I didn't know they sold kangaroo meat. Me yeah, too. Absolutely. I didn't know that you could eat kangaroo. It's actually quite good. I have nothing against it. I mean, I'm not like, no, no. Now, are they farm raised basically? All kangaroo is actually... Uh, at least to my understanding, is actually wild hunted. We have too much kangaroo, believe it or not. It, mm. They're getting to problematic amounts. So we <laughs> cull them to uh, get the numbers down and also to feed ourselves sometimes. That's like deer hunting here. Sometimes we just have too many deer that the population is high that year and they allow hunting to a certain limit. Uh, you know, where I live, we do see deer occasionally, and it can be really dangerous because they can create a massive accident. You know, they come just running out. Oh, yeah. and dawn and twilight hours are very dangerous. You've got to really be careful. I don't know if deer whistles that you can put on your car actually work. They sell these things that the deer can hear that should scare them away. Now, I don't know oh. if it works. I mean, I could put elephant whistles on my car and say, they work. I've never seen an elephant, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, Maybe they do. I don't know. If anybody knows, tell me if they've used them and they seem to work. Do you have something like that in Australia, like uh, kangaroo whistles? Not that I'm familiar with, but now that you've mentioned it, I'm, I'm going to have to look into it. Uh, it. We typically don't see kangaroos too much in the city. So it's not something we have to worry about around here, but it's more sort of out in the country. They're pretty rampant. But you are supposed to whistle the, the, the thing while you are driving? Well, what it does is the air passes through it like you hook it up to your grill. And as the air passes oh, through, cool. there's a constant Save whistle that you car. won't. Yeah, you won't hear it, but the deer will. Ah, oh, that's cool. Said Eduardo, tell me about Sao Paulo, Brazil. From your perspective, what do you love about it? What places should I visit there or nearby? If I decided, you know, I can drive a couple of hours around the city. Yeah, I live in in a city called Campinas that is in the Sao Paulo state. From here, uh, in one hour drive, you can go to the Sao Paulo city. That is the state capital, I guess that's the word for it. It's a huge city with 15 million inhabitants, a lot of museums, a lot of places to go, people to meet, a lot of traffic. <laughs> But Also, uh, in a two-hour drive, you can get to the rainforest here, the Mata Atlântica. It's a beautiful place with waterfalls, uh, with a lot of wildlife. Three, four-hour trip, you can get to Rio de Janeiro. That is our most famous city. It's also a beautiful city with a lot of nature, a lot of beaches. It's a huge country, Brazil. But here, the nearest places are, are these waterfalls that I used to go with my wife. Now we sometimes take our kids. Also love nature, love hiking. There are options for people who like cities and options for people who like nature. And it's great you can share that now with your kids, your love of nature, the waterfalls, and driving just a couple of hours to get to a place like that. That's pretty good. I mean, for me, where I am, in a couple of hours, I can get to the beaches. I'm a few hours from New York, but that's pretty good to go from city into rainforest. That's wonderful to be that close. I wish I was that close to a national park. We have our parks here, but not the big reserves that they have. That's fantastic. They are great. They're wonderful. I'm completely in love with rainforests. Here in Brazil, we also have uh, uh, other types of forests. There are more dry weather, low um, plants, but the rainforest, is, it, it covers you. It's all filled with life. It's great to walk on it because you don't, don't have the sun. You are always in the shadow. There are, there are always uh, water fonts. 
and waterfalls and rivers. It's great. I lo I've just loved it. It's wonderful to be in nature. I guess it's important for us to disconnect ourselves from the, the rhythm of, of our lives, our technological lives. It's really wonderful. And my kids, since they were little, I always take them. So they are very comfortable in nature. They feel very, <laughs> very comfortable. <laughs> oh, that's great. Is there some place there, something that you like to eat, food, beverages, that I need to experience should I go there? A local specialty, perhaps. Every Brazilian will tell you to eat the feijoada, the coxinha, the pão de queijo, que it's a bread made of cheese. But we have a lot of types of foods here in Brazil. The, the vatapá, since we are in Sao Paulo state, that's one of the most populated. You can eat almost every type of Brazilian food. That is a continental country and it's a huge country. Uh, in, in Sao Paulo, it would have a lot of options. But the feijoada, it's a great option. It's like a dark beans with sausages, with pork meat. You eat it with rice. But it's the feijoada, it's the most famous. And the, the caipirinha also. That is like a vodka or pinga with lemon and ice and sugar. Mm. <laughs> You're killing me. I had a protein drink for lunch. It's <laughs> <laughs> going all over my desk. <laughs> Okay, well, before I go run and grab something to eat, let's talk about Self-Made coming up December 5th. Matt, this is your first solo comic writing, and it's also Kyle Higgins' first work as an editor on a comic. Kyle Higgins, yeah. of course, author of Cowl and Hadrian's Wall, both of which I've read and enjoyed very much. Matt, tell me about your first comic writing credit. Was that a Power Rangers book? It absolutely was. That's right. I co-wrote a short story in a annual from Boom Studios about the Power Rangers, yeah. Now, your co-writer, is he also your co-host on your related Ranger Danger podcast about Power Rangers? He most certainly is, absolutely. And he's also the production designer on Self Made. Yeah, so by day, Michael's a both a web designer and a graphic designer. So he put together our website and has done the production design on the interiors of Self Made. So it's been great to bring him onto the project. Well, tell me, besides that, Michael's involvement in Self Made's production, what will the readers see that he's contributed and what else has he done that we won't see, but is just as important nonetheless. Well, I think between Michael and Kyle and myself, we talk, I'd say almost daily in just a Google chat. And we've been doing that for oh, probably three or four years now. So we're talking story constantly. So as much as Michael's not necessarily contributing directly to self-made, I think the influence of having the three of us talk story and talk structure and, and talk what we're enjoying and what's working over the past couple of years. I think that's been an invaluable experience. So yeah, it's good to be able to sort of bring him into the fold and have him represented because yeah, I think he's a big part of how my career has developed so far. And yeah, it's good to have him on board. So Matt, you've known Kyle for a while then. Was it through your podcast that you first met up with him or how did you first meet Kyle and then work on this book together? Yeah, it absolutely was the podcast. So we'd been doing the Power Rangers podcast just as a hobby for probably about two years. And he was announced as the writer on the Power Rangers comic. We decided to reach out to him and see if we'd uh, get an interview. And we did. 
and it seemed he really enjoyed the experience because he asked if we could come back month after month and do a sort of issue by issue breakdown of each issue. And because of that, we were talking regularly and then we just started talking even more regularly. And as I said, it sort of evolved into an ongoing conversation about writing. And it got to a certain point where Kyle said, have you ever thought about writing comics? And I said, yeah, of course I've thought about it, but you know, I live in Australia and it's kind of difficult to <laughs> start a career from here. Uh, so he asked me to write a one issue test script, I guess you could say, just to sort of see what my, my writing style was like. And what I wrote outside of a few small exceptions was the first issue for self-made. Uh, it's almost entirely unchanged from that initial script. And Kyle, he seemed to really like it. So he asked if he could uh, serve as editor on the book and uh, shop it around to publishers. Oh, incredible. And now are you still doing the podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We've, <laughs> we, we don't stop. We do at least one episode a week, but oftentimes two. And we've just hit year five. We're chugging along. You know, it's amazing to me how enduring the love is for Power Rangers. Why do you think that is? Why does it still resonate with people today? I think it's a really unique show. And I think the reason we've been able to get so much material out of it for the podcast is because it's uniquely strange. It takes a Japanese show, cuts up about half of the footage from each episode, brings that in whole cloth, and then mixes that in with about half an episode of American film content. So the writers of the show are taking what are already quite strange Japanese ideas and then trying to write half a story into it, which creates this bizarre mishmash, both structurally and culturally. You get the content that's it's pretty unique and it, it's entertained us no end for the for five years on the podcast, but I think it gives the franchise a longevity that's seen it continue for a quarter of a century now. That's amazing. My son even was into it. He's seven, so my oldest son. So he's into different things all the time. You know, he goes from one thing to another. Right now it's Annoying Orange or whatever that TV show is. It's, <laughs> it's annoying me. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, but he was really into that too and, and still is. We were at a sale over the weekend at a comic shop and he saw a Power Rangers gun. He says, I want this. <laughs> Never stops. Yeah, I mean, the show is constantly bringing in new kids because the show is absolutely aimed at, at young children. But over the past few years, we've seen the rise of content that's geared towards older fans. And I think Kyle and, and his comic and now the secondary comic written by Ryan Parrott, uh, Go Go Power Rangers, is really helping to bring back some lapped fans, I guess, and, and give them a slightly more mature spin on, on the brand. Okay, so that's the Ranger Danger Power Rangers podcast, and you have at least one episode a week. Absolutely. Now, Eduardo, you've been working in comics for over 10 years as an artist, and one of your credits includes The Last Phantom, which was published through Dynamite. And I remember that because I read the whole series. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's been about seven years since you drew The Last Phantom, and to me, in self-made, your figures seem a little smoother. There's more detail. Eduardo, how do you think your art style is different for self-made? Have you made any changes to how you approach illustrating this comic book. I have evolved a lot, I believe, because the last Phantom, I guess the last issue I draw, I draw, it was in 2011. As an artist, I don't even like that anymore. Uh, <laughs> yes, the kind of old works that you look and said, oh man, I did this, <laughs> you know. So saying how I think my work developed from that, I think my anatomy is better. 
I can resolve the black and white separations of figures better, the, the backgrounds, and my narrative has also improved from that time. With age, I'm 42 now. With age, you tend to simplify, you start to know your work better and know where you need to put detail, where you don't need to put detail. How can you make your narrative work as a comic artist? I like a lot the Italian artists like Ivo Milazzo and Bernet, so I have a strong influence on it. And also Mike Mignola, my favorite, Frank Miller, uh, guys who has a very strong narrative. I work a lot with storyboards for publicity along all these years. Because when I stopped doing the, the Last Phantom, I was only doing comics as an uh, independent publisher. We used to gather some friends and make some comics and publish ourselves. After the Phantom, I kind of lay low for a while in comics and keep doing storyboards. And when you do a lot of storyboards, you learn a lot about narrative and, and camera rules and stuff. From then, then to here, I guess, my work ha has improved. <laughs> As much that I don't like to see my work in the last festival. <laughs> when I see my work in self-made, I really enjoy it. I'm really happy with how it turns out. With Marcelo Costa, who is our colorist, he really mm. improves the art, his color palettes and, and all. I'm really glad with the visual we get on it. I hope people also will like it. I think they will, because I found that Marcelo's style really blended well with your art, and honestly, it works better than the art as a whole in The Last Phantom. It just matched up a lot better. Now, he's fairly local to you, so have you worked together before, and how did he get invited to join the team of Self Made? We had never worked before in the comic market here in Brazil. We, are, we know each other. He's also an artist. But I always looked at his works and his colors and, and thought, one day I want to have this guy working with me doing colors. You know? <laughs> when we get to do a pitch for image, it seems to me like it was the perfect opportunity to call him. He accepted right away and it worked pretty well. His art style is very similar to mine. So I think it's very natural for him doing colors on my lines. Now, Matt, tell me, how did you derive the title for the book? self-made it came quite late in the process just before the pitch went out to image originally it was called hair presumptive if i remember quite right and it was a title that was absolutely a placeholder because it, it felt unwieldy uh and i knew i wanted to change it i was just having trouble getting to a title that i was happy with uh and it came from a conversation back and forth that kyle and i had about the themes of the series and how much of it was revolving around looking for a sense of purpose and defining your own sort of path in the world when you're also aware of the presence of a God in your life and acutely aware that you're a creation, how you proceed when you've got those sort of conflicting ideas of that desire for purpose versus the, the knowledge of, of control and destiny. So, yeah, we ended up coming to Self-Made and found a name that we're happy with. Well, about the series, I've read a few issues in, so I'm going to let you speak to the details about it so I don't accidentally say something I shouldn't. Uh, but I'll, I will <laughs> tell you this, though. I did not read a description of the book before I read it, and I'm reading it, and I thought, well, okay, it's a pretty cool fantasy story. And then... It went another direction by the end of issue one. 
So there's a mm. lot more to it than meets the eye. I did read later that fans of Westworld would like the book, and I wholeheartedly agree. That would be a good recommendation for fans of that show. Tell me a bit more about the book. It just described, as you had alluded to, a series about a woman and her god and their journey across worlds. Who are Amala, Rebecca, and Bryce? Why are they key to the story? Amala is the central character of our story. She's a warrior and the defender of her kingdom. So she helps to protect it from outside forces. But she's trapped in that role. You know, she feels like she's going to be her, there her whole life. And by the rules of her society, she will be. But she wants something more. So when disaster strikes and the peace of the kingdom starts to fall apart, she sees on the opportunity to break out of that role to try and change her destiny and demonstrate what she's capable of. And that puts her on a collision course with, I guess you could say, her god. Her name is Rebecca. And they end up on a journey together that takes them across worlds. And as you identified it, it starts off in a traditional fantasy sort of setting. It takes us a world inspired by science fiction and beyond. Uh, and Bryce is the sort of central antagonist of our book. He exists in the world alongside Amala. He has been put into a position of privilege. He has an autonomy that Amala lacks. He's gotten used to being in control and having things go his way. He provides a good sort of foil for Amala. It does take place in different locations, which is incredible because the art and the colors works so well in each of the different locations. Mm. I mean, that's a real skill, and I really appreciate it. It never was I taken out of the story by the art. There was no dramatic change, just that everything seemed to fit and work well in the setting that the story was taking place at that time. Eduardo and Marcelo really blew me away. I think given the high sort of concept nature of the series, I was a little worried going in of how we'd handle it, but... Yeah, Eduardo and Marcelo as a team have proved to be incredibly flexible, which I think people really enjoy. Now, I understand that there is a special cover for number one coming up to support a very important cause, and it's something that Image Comics has done before. Tell me about the book's special cover for issue one and who's doing it and what's so special about it. We were approached by Image to do a cover for the Hero Initiative, and it's coming out for Christmas, so it was to be themed around the idea of giving. We talked about it amongst ourselves, and Eduardo and Marcelo both volunteered their time to provide a cover, and it came out gorgeous. Uh, so yeah, I guess Eduardo... It was one of the most going in and out covers that we, we, we did. Usually I, I nailed the, the concept right on the first one, but yeah. this one we, we had to do like two or three options and, and then the third I guess went right. It was the best. It was, I guess it was the more appropriate cover for the team. It was actually really interesting seeing the other Hero Initiative covers that are coming out as part of this set because it's an interesting challenge to balance the theme and the sort of seasonal nature of it, but also have it fit within the world of your story. We didn't want to create anything that felt dissonant with the series. It's a challenge to create a variant in these circumstances. I think it's a brilliant idea, and I can really appreciate it because some publishers have a zillion covers for the one issue. And as you said, sometimes the covers can be dissonant and has nothing to do with the story at all. It doesn't even have the mm -hmm. character in the book on the cover, and that's a cool piece of art. But I like my covers to have something to do with the book, 
And it it creates havoc for me trying to get a specific cover by an artist. If there's multiple covers, sometimes, you know, the retailers get confused because what was cover A is now cover D. And apparently they sell because it gets done. But it's nice to see that this one is going toward an important cause and it fits in with the season, a theme of the season of giving. And it has the character on the cover. Can anyone get that? The retails will have to order. It's got its own diamond code. They'll have to be ordered specifically. So if you see it and you like it and you want to support the Hero Initiative, which is a great cause, get in touch with your retailer. Let them know that you want it and they should be able to get in for you. Okay, so there's no, you have to buy X number of copies to get one. Oh, no. No, that's that's not my understanding. Okay, good. Hey, retailers, that's a great idea. You know, you should buy some copies, put it on your counter, and let them know that the proceeds are for the Hero Initiative. I like yeah, that Yeah, that's cool. Unrelated to the story, but related to making the book, Matt, I understand you're a big user of spreadsheets. You're tracking the production of the book, what needs to get done, the milestones. Bravo, sir. I use spreadsheets a lot and calendars to track everything I do, <laughs> in work, out of work, personal time, whatever. It's the best way to go, in my opinion. I'm not a naturally organized person, I guess I'd say. I've noticed that is something I have in common with a few other comic writers. But creating your own comic requires a spreadsheet. If I was to go like do a panel on for new comic writers on what to learn, the first one would be to heavily rely on Google Sheets. And I think that the beauty of image of doing a comic in images, we have total control over everything. Image lets us know when we're going to release. And then at the end of our process, we send them a finished comic and they have essentially no involvement in the intervening time. What that does mean is that we need to manage everything ourselves. And having Kyle, having gone through this process a few times himself, that's been very valuable. But I've tried to take a lot of responsibility of making sure that we're hitting all the deadlines on everything and we're sort of making sure everything's getting to all the production departments that they need to on time. And that's really important to me because I know just as a reader that having a comic ship late, it really throws off your schedule and it can be quite disappointing. So we're committed to making sure we are running a tight ship. And that's why we've also got four issues completely finished. Eduardo's working on issue five right now. I'm stripping issue six. So we're well ahead to make sure that we can keep producing comics on schedule and make sure nobody misses out. You are way ahead. I've never heard of a book being that far ahead. Uh, It's actually something that I think Image has started requiring recently for new series is, is to have a few in the can before you get started. But we wanted to be even a bit beyond that to make sure that we're ahead of schedule, particularly because like Eduardo has a lot of experience, as you pointed out, but I'm a new creative and I wanted to make sure that I had the runway I needed to make sure that even just for retailers, that they could reliably order the book and know it was going to come in when we say it is going to come in. Yeah, I think that's important, really, to keep keep the book on the the deadlines, to deliver the art on time. I I don't use the sheets. I do a manual one when I put the layouts and, and, and inks and the deadlines i like to go filling them every day oh this today i need to fill in four little squares here no, then when i when I, finish <laughs> that, I, I, I go there and paint it with another color i'm really used to filling deadlines because uh, i work too much time in publicity and mm-hmm. publicity here in brazil is like a crazy timing everything is it's always for the last minute and everything is for yesterday this time that i work with with publicity makes me a very fast artist I can deliver an issue in one month, and Marcelo is also good in, in, in filling the colors on time. 
And it's really good to know that you're on time, that you have time to do the, the, the art with care. I have dedicated my time 100% on self-made, on the four issues that we already done. And I intend to keep it that way, to always have the, the a good issue with a good art on time for the readers. I think that's one of the reasons Eduardo and I work as a great team, because we both come from an agency background. I work in branding in Australia in my day job. And as Eduardo said, he works in publicity. So we've had weirdly similar sort of life experiences in terms of day jobs. Like I think having to work for big clients on very tight deadlines is strangely good training for comics because comics is a an art form where you, it's so deadline run. Particularly when you're, you're doing your own comic, there's, I'd say, eight or nine deadlines per issue you need to be hitting from pencils to coloring to production pages to solicit copy. So it's good to have a bit of practice in that already before hitting comics itself. Is there anything you want to say about the other members of the creative team? Your logo designer, Olivia. Olivia is someone who comes from my day job world of branding. She's a designer here in Australia and one of the best designers uh, in the country, as far as I'm concerned. She actually did a a highly awarded branding project for the Sydney uh, Biennale, which is a massive arts festival that we do. And this is her first working comics. And I was blown away, but also not surprised when she got the self-made logo perfect first go. She took a couple of hours, came back and was like, here it is, it's done. And I was like, yeah, you're right, it's done. It doesn't mean anything. You're amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's great to introduce comics world to live, I guess I'd say. And I also don't want to forget your letterer, Troy. Troy's great. Very patient because Troy has years and years and years of experience in lettering. He's a real workhorse. This is essentially my first comic. And having the, the lettering be exactly right is very important to me because... I'm very big on on dialogue and rhythm and cadence. He's been really great about getting into the nuts and bolts of his process with me and explaining things and, and helping me understand his work process. We work really well together now. There was some teething issues initially. I, for example, we had a font earlier on or a typeface for the comic that it was a little experimental. And after talking with him, he helped me realize that it wasn't necessarily the most readable of fonts. And we got <laughs> to something something much better. It's been a learning process. And Troy has been just an incredible collaborator. And it's great to have someone with his level of professionalism on the team. Oh, it's extremely important. Because I can tell you, there are certain books I've read that there's a font and a coloring of the font within the word balloon that's used that I guess looks cool. I can't see it. I mean, maybe I just have bad eyes. I really can't read it. The contrast is bad. I don't have that problem here. It's very easy to use creative opportunities to an extent that perhaps you shouldn't. For example, as you mentioned, we've got a story that takes you between worlds. And I initially had the thought that it would be great to have different types of word balloons in the different worlds to have some level of denotation. Just little touches, like in the more sci-fi settings, we had rounded tails on the word balloons versus pointed ones. But that's something that, as much as it sounds great in concept, it just disrupts the reading experience. So we ended up going back and having everything be streamlined. Because at the end of the day, you don't want lettering to be noticed necessarily. I think the best lettering is when it is completely seamless and organic. It fits perfectly with the rhythm of the dialogue. So... Yeah, he sort of helped me realize that the best lettering is almost invisible. Yeah, I agree. In addition to all of this that we've talked about, 
there is a contest of some sort with the hashtag self-made comic. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we're obviously as a an independent comic through image, we need to help spread the word. So people who use that hashtag self-made comic that you mentioned to tweet about the comic or so spread the word on Facebook, the people who do it most creatively get entered into a competition and the winners, we've got two first prizes that the winner gets to choose from. They can either have a 22 page comic script review by Kyle. So he'll go over that and annotate it and give you guidance. I can tell you from experience, he's a great editor. So I highly recommend that. Or if you prefer, you can get a custom commission from Eduardo. Uh, and then we have 10 runner up prizes, which is some prints of Amala based on uh, Eduardo's work. Oh, those are all great. Yeah. I I everyone so. should participate in that. You have nothing to lose. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. put your creative caps on and get to work. Absolutely. First issue will be out December 5th. That's right. Now, we get to the fun questions I ask all my guests. So, Matt, we'll start with you. What do you like to do for rest and relaxation? I take it hiking would be a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Hiking is a big one. I guess sort of on the complete other end of the spectrum in terms of health, I love sitting on the couch and playing video games. Uh, that's something that... <laughs> Eduardo and I share, I think, definitely video games and particularly ones where I can just kind of lose myself in them. I've been playing the new Spider-Man game on PlayStation. Just swinging around in the city in that feels so good. When I'm feeling a bit stressed, I'll start up Spider-Man and I'll just swing around the city, not even necessarily doing anything except swinging. And it's a really weirdly effective stress reliever. <laughs> <laughs> I've only heard good things about the game. Only heard like uh, raves about it. It's a great it. game. It's very fun to be Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Eduardo, what do you like to do for rest and relaxation besides video games? Yeah, uh, I would say video games. <laughs> <laughs> I also love video games. For me, a great stress reliever to play games. Sometimes I play games online that are more stressful. Uh, I'm playing now the Red Dead Redemption 2 game. It's awesome. I'm diving in that world. I, I love Westerns. And I love to make a fire and make coffee and drink coffee, watching the skies <laughs> like these things. The, the game is very immersive. And I also like to make uh, rides with my family, with my wife and my kids. We uh, love nature. We love to go out. Near my house here, we have a, a park with lakes. We, we like to go there and take the dog out and, and also see friends. I guess the video games are, are my mainly form of <laughs> leasing the stress these days. Well, you both seem to have a pretty balanced rest and relaxation. You know, some activity, some game time. It's pretty well balanced. That's cool. Matt, thinking back, any birthday, which one was your favorite birthday? What was special about it? One that has really stuck with me when I was quite young we did a scavenger hunt and my grandparents lived in like a coastal town and so did my great-grandparents at the time and they created like a scavenger hunt around the town that involved puzzles and, and moving from one point to another i think it was a, a big part of why i love immersive experiences so much like these days i'm a huge fan of escape rooms and i think that has come largely from that day, and that's one that's really stuck with me. That's a great idea. I like that. It's just something I can give the kids to do a scavenger hunt, even around here. Just like the backyard. Go find the spy. See you. <laughs> do it. Absolutely. It works out well for you, and I'm sure they'll love it as well. Oh, I'm sure they will. Eduardo, what was your favorite birthday? I guess I was doing 23 years old, and I was with some friends. We were coming back from a 
cave expedition and we bought a cake, very simple cake. We ate that cake on the board of a river. It's a very simple thing, three friends in one cake on the river. Uh, it was a very great birthday. It's funny, some of the simplest things are the best, aren't they? Oh, yeah. It was a realization I had that time that we don't really need lots of stuff to be good, you know? Just the cake and some friends and, and some nature. and Everything is all right. Now, still thinking back to the past, Matt, when you were in middle school, what posters or pictures did you have on your bedroom wall? Weirdly enough, I'd never had posters because I didn't have any wall space in my room. <laughs> Between... <laughs> Bookshelves and windows uh, and cupboard doors, there wasn't any space. I think the first, and I, it was a little bit after the age range. Middle school is sort of early teens, is that right, in America? Exactly. It was a little bit later than that, but one of the first things like a poster that I had was a big standee that they'd use in the cinemas for Superman Returns that had both Superman and Lois on it. And it took up, I would say, about a third of my room. So it wasn't <laughs> super practical, but I quite liked it. <laughs> I used to have a, one of those big cardboard. It wasn't a standee. It was actually something that hung in the 7-Eleven. It was a Spider-Man holding a Slurpee. And my dad said, can I get that for my son? And he brought it home one night. <laughs> I guess he just paid the guy a couple of bucks, whatever, and said, I want that. So <laughs> I was shocked to get this cardboard Spider-Man swinging through the air holding a Slurpee. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that's very skilled. How about you, Eduardo? What did you have on your bedroom wall? I was a great 80s movies fan, 80s and 90s movies fan. I had a Schwarzenegger film where he has to rescue his daughter. The movie is called Commando. It's here in Brazil. It was Commando para Matar. I had one of these and I had one of Rambo and one Robocop. It was three major posters <laughs> on my wall. And I had a dream to steal a Batman, a Michael Keaton Batman on the video store next to my house. But they never let me take it away. <laughs> I like the 89 Batman, Michael Keaton's, Tim Burton's Batman. I, I've watched that movie like 100 million times. I watch it every day <laughs> when I was young. Those are all classics, all good choices. Now, here's a hypothetical question. Matt, you're stuck on a desert island. What is the one book you want to have with you for pleasure to read? You know, I think what I would probably go with is American Gods by Neil Gaiman. It's not necessarily, to my taste, the most narratively satisfying or cohesive stories, but it's so evocative of a sense of place and tone that I think it would be, it'd really help sort of transport me, I think, from the bleak reality of dying on a desert <laughs> island and, and take me to a place where both other people exist and magic is real and, well, there's more going on than my quiet island lifestyle. How about you, Eduardo? An island book for you. From Argentina, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It's 100 Years of Solitude, the translation. 100 Anos de Solidão. It's a great book. Now, I'm not familiar with that. What is it about? It is about the story of a family and, and all their generations. I guess it was the most bizarre narrative that I've already read in a book. And it really caught me. Uh, I can't even explain how. It's some fantasy, some romance, crazy story about these cousins uh, all through generations that they want to get together, but they, they never 
managed to do it because in the family they they had a tradition that if cousins stayed together, the baby would be born with a pig's tail. But it's hard to simplify the story. <laughs> it goes through very generations of this family, uh, and it's very crazy. If it was science fiction, I would I would take Robot's Dreams from Isaac Asimov one of the greatest books of science fiction that I've ever read. If a company were to make an action figure of you, what would you want to be your accessory with that action figure? So last year I spent probably about three months camping around Europe and I took with me a like a very simple inflatable mattress. It's like very thin inflatable and, and great for taking camping. And I've ended up taking that with me just about everywhere I go on my travels. Like I came to America early this year and just even going to conventions, like when I had to share a hotel room or visit a new, new city and sort of um, stay somewhere as a guest, just rolling that out and being able to sort of crash anywhere. It really appeals to me. So I've become quite fond of it. <laughs> That's a tough question. Do you have an idea what your accessory would be, Eduardo? I guess it could be a traveling backpack, those big ones where you put the sleeping bag and all. I guess it could be one of that. <laughs> <laughs> now, this one's easier. It's not hypothetical. Matt, what is your beverage of choice when you are resting and relaxing? Do you have matcha tea in the U.S.? Yes, we do. It's like a green tea. I love a matcha latte. When I go to the cafe, I have them uh, create, they call it a dirty matcha latte, which is just a matcha latte, but with coffee in it. So it has the beautiful taste of a matcha latte and sort of regenerative qualities of a good herbal tea, but also mixed in with that good, good coffee taste and, you know, a bit of a pick-me-up of coffee. So I love it. And I'm sure that for anyone who's like a, a tea traditionalist, it'd kill them to hear what I do to tea. <laughs> But I love it. I've never heard of that combination. Tastes okay, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Give it a try. It's really good. All right. Eduardo, how about you? Coffee and beer. It's my two favorite beverages. Is there a kind that you prefer, coffee-wise and beer-wise? Like I know some people like something a little milder, like a lager or a pilsner. Some like the stronger ones, like me, like an IPA or a stout, perhaps. Is there a certain kind you like? I like the wise ears, the, the ones that it's made of weed, and the Pilsen ones, but the, the, the more bitter ones, like Heineken. I also like the lager one. And the coffee, it's just the espresso coffee Italian that I drink like six or seven a day, you know. <laughs> That's how you make those deadlines, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having done interviews. What's the one question someone has not asked you yet? Something that you want people to know about you, but it just doesn't come up in conversation. Well, uh, yeah, something that I haven't talked about yet in interviews, but it's probably slightly relevant experience is that I teach uh, story workshops here in Sydney, both to the public and to clients of the agency that I work for. Something I've been doing for quite a few years now. I take a very sort of generalist approach in terms of traditional story structure and how you can apply that to even sort of rudimentary forms of writing, like giving presentations at work or writing blogs or even sort of like applying for a raise in an email, how story structure can help you sort of get through that. And I think sort of thinking about story and studying story for a few years is uh, really helped me out, <laughs> unsurprisingly, when it comes to writing comics. That's a great skill to have. And that does dovetail nicely with what you like to do 
for fun and satisfaction. Not that you don't get fun and satisfaction out of work, but for your own projects. It's nice that those two things dovetail together. Eduardo, how about you? What's that one question that someone hasn't asked you yet in an interview? This project, self-made, we're doing, I'm so glad to be part of it. Me and Matt, it's like some weird, strange thing that goes on when you meet <laughs> when you meet an, an, an author and you you read the script and you say oh man that i want to draw this now and we think so alike in a lot of yeah. a lot of ways it's fun to see for me because i'm a lot of years trying to engage in a good comic project that it was in a wider market like image doing something that uh, really lights the, the inner fire you know not just because, oh, they want you to do this thing and it's for a great, great publisher. I always was trying to find a project that I would identify with, you know, and that I, I'm proud to be doing and that I think that uh, resonates with a lot of ways that I see the world today. I'm very glad to be part of it and hope that the public can capture that because we're putting a lot of real love on the stages. And I feel blessed to be doing this. With Matt and for Image, that is a publisher that I really admire. I feel that it's uh, an accomplishment that I, I've been trying like for many years in my career. And now it's happening. And I'm really glad that it's with Matt because we, we think much alike. We are like bizarre, bizarre soulmates. You know? <laughs> it is a bit strange, isn't it? How, how weirdly <laughs> like we think. <laughs> I have some ideas and I keep thinking, I don't know if Matt will like this. I don't know if I should talk to him. Then we talk and it's, oh yeah, that's great. Let's do it. And it always worked out pretty well. So I guess that's it. That's my first comic project that I'm doing with a hundred percent sure. That's what I would like to be doing on the moment, you know. I've worked on other projects that I wasn't very satisfied with. As an author, that's weird because then your work doesn't go out. You know, the work don't go right. You get blocks, creative blocks. I would like to other artists to realize that when you're not very comfortable on the project that you're doing, it reflects on your artwork. It reflects on the flow of what you're doing. It's really bizarre, you know. So I'm glad to be doing this now. <laughs> and I think the readers are going to be glad that you're doing it because they're going to see the effort and how your work has evolved. And I think they're going to really enjoy the story. I know I'm enjoying it so far, so I'm sure everybody else will too. I was also caught up in surprise when I read the first time. I was like, what is happening? It's like, a, whoa, that's it. You know, it's very, very cool. <laughs> Matt, it's a great start for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. And thank you both for being on Creator Talks today. Oh, thank you for having us. It's been a great conversation. I agree. Indeed. Coming up next Thursday on Creator Talks, Paige and Claire Connolly, they are both artists. They're going to talk about their work, what interests them, and going to school together. I met them at the comic book shop, and the comic book shop, sponsor of this show, has several events that go on each month. One, the book club, fourth Thursday of every month, 7 to 8 p.m. for ages 14+. plus. There is an NBs and Women's Night, the third Thursday, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., ages 16 up, and an LGBTQ plus club, usually last Saturday, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Mature teens are welcome. Plus, they have gaming and other special events. So, comics are for everyone, and gaming, at the Comic Book Shop in Wilmington, Delaware, off of Marsh Road. This free podcast is available every Thursday through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Alexa-enabled devices, and also YouTube.
as we approach this holiday season and you're working through your Christmas shopping list, could you add one small gift for me? No, no money. I'm just asking for a rating or review on iTunes. Just leave a simple star rating, what you think about the show, if you haven't already. It goes a long way to helping the show, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to leave a review or a star rating. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter, at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. If you want to send me any correspondence, it's contact at creatortalks.com. That's contact at creatortalks.com. I am also on Instagram at creatortalkspod. There I post my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age comics from my collection, including some of the ones I picked up at the comic book shop's Black Friday weekend sale. Time is a precious commodity in short supply for all of us, so I do appreciate you taking some time to spend with me listening to these interviews on Creator Talks. More coming your way next week and all this month and into the new year. For Creator Talks, this is your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.